All right. Good morning, everyone. Let's, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Let's go ahead and uh, let's get started here. Can everybody hear me okay? Am I coming through? No, I don't think anybody's listening either. I know. I, sh I should do that. I should do that. You know, that, that actually might be helpful. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, you have our attention. All right, great. All right, everyone, let's go ahead and get started. We're a little late out the gate here, but that's okay. Say la vie. Let's begin with invocation and prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right. So we are, Lord willing, going to finish up the Ten Commandments today. And we will begin with the Fifth Commandment on page 85 of your small catechism. And I wanted to start with just a couple of comments about the nature of these commandments, um, especially as we have them in the Hebrew language, uh, in, the, in the Hebrew original. So as with all language, there, there are degrees of politeness when it comes to asking people to do something, right? There's everything from, hey, please, would you consider doing this at your earliest convenience? You know, very like overly polite, overly um, sin boldly. Uh, <laughs> Dale, go ahead. Uh, so there's, you know, this very polite, please, would you maybe consider with sugar on top, please do this. And then there's also very, there's everything from that on one end of the spectrum to do this or you shall do this, right? So you see there's a, there's a spectrum in there. Um, and I should point out that in the Hebrew language, as we have the commandments um, in Exodus, this is as blunt as you can possibly get in the Hebrew language. There is no more blunt and direct way of, of speaking. So that is how God is speaking to his people and to us in these commandments. There is a difference between saying, look, please don't stay out past midnight with your friends, and you will not be out past midnight. It won't happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen. So that's, that is how the Lord is speaking uh, in these commandments um, to his people. And again, these are the people that he has brought by his grace and mighty work out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, out from under the tyranny of Pharaoh. Um, and he has, he has brought them through the waters of uh, the Red Sea. And he's already um, sealed them in the, in the covenant of Moses, right? These are his people. He's consecrated them as his own. They are holy unto him. And uh, this, is, this is what our Lord would have them do as the people of Israel. And, of course, this carries over to us in the New Covenant, right? So, in any case, um, yes, the Fifth Commandment, page 85. And I'm not sure that we have really covered this in uh, previous classes, Pastor and I. But what I want to draw your attention to is with this commandment and with every commandment um, preceding, except for the First Commandment, Luther's explanation has 
there, there are two components to it. There are things that we should not do um, and things that we should do, right? And when you look at his meaning, what does this mean? Notice what he says in the fifth, in, uh, in the fifth commandment. We should fear and love God so that we do not, right? So here he's telling us what we shouldn't do, hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help him, on the other hand, uh, and support him in every physical need. Okay, so you have things that you shouldn't do and things that you should do. We, should, we, we mustn't read these commandments so narrowly that we understand only the physical act, the crass act of murder. Right? That's, that's, it's, it's much more expansive than that. And we know that especially because of the way Christ interprets the commandments. You know, he says um, in his, in his uh, Sermon on the Mount, if you are angry with your brother, if anyone is angry with his brother, he is liable to the judgment. Right? So even our impulses, to harboring hatred in your heart for somebody else, that is a murderous impulse. It is sinful. Okay? Anger itself is not sinful. You know, God gets angry. Christ gets angry. He drives people out of the temple. Um, but harboring hatred especially is, is still a, uh, it violates the fifth commandment. And I would draw your attention to, to the bottom of page 85 under question 60. How do we fear and love God in keeping the fifth commandment? Um, first, we fear and love God by not harming our neighbor. Um, and har harming our neighbor includes murder. Okay, so here's, here's the definition. I don't know what the legal definition would be uh, here in the United States. But here is, I think, for our purposes, good enough. Taking the life of another person without just cause. Okay, without just cause. So if, if that's what murder is, um, well, you have to reckon with the fact that this doesn't say um, not to kill, that killing is prohibited, right? Because think, for example, soldiers, you know, especially as we have a conflict going on uh, in Ukraine, um, the Ukrainian uh, soldiers fighting for that cause and the Russian soldiers fighting for their cause. Um, you know, they're in service of the state and they are vested with the authority to carry out warfare on behalf of the state. Okay, so they are authorized to take life uh, in pursuit, hopefully, of a, of, of a, of a praiseworthy uh, goal, right? Um, there's a lot, you know, we could get into about just war theory and all that, but um, I think that that kind of goes beyond the, the scope of this class for right now. But in any case, um, so it's taking the life of another person without just cause. Okay, so when, for example, a judge who has the authority to do so, um, you know, upon presentation of, of, of evidence and as, you know, with due process being carried out in a court of law, um, people can, uh, it can be deemed that the death penalty is warranted. Okay, and the judge has the authority to take life. God has given him that authority, and, he, and we see this explicitly laid out in Romans 13. Um, you know, that the government does not bear the sword in vain. You know, he, God enforces his will through the government, and taking life, um, there is such thing as taking life with just cause, namely through the court of law, namely through um, uh, military service. These are sanctioned by God. These are good and right and pleasing. Um, but in any case, what we are in, um, enjoined against is murder here. And so, you know, this, this really um, is an amazing thing um, that in our day, of course, uh, there is such thing as state-sponsored, state-sanctioned uh, state murder in the form of abortion. Um, and we see here, too, uh, you see under page, uh, under question 59, who is our neighbor from the moment of conception? 
Every person whom God has created is our neighbor, and especially anyone in need of our help and assistance. You know, the scriptures are replete with evidence that uh, personhood is conferred upon conception. There is, um, and that, that is one question you can always ask um, pro-abortion advocates as well. Is it a human life? If not, when does it become a human life, and how do you know that? Um, what is it if it's not a human being in the womb? And, well, it's, if they say, well, it's, you know, um, it's not a human being until it's born, right? So then that means that the millisecond, the nanosecond before birth, it's not a human being. And then somehow, magically, after it passes out of the birth canal or C-section, then it becomes a human being. Well, no. It's, you know, as David says, um, you know, in sin, my mother conceived me. Like me. There's personal agency there. Right? There's this, this idea of personhood being conferred in conception itself. Right? So life begins at conception in the womb, and every person whom God has created is our neighbor. Okay. So, um, yeah, on page 86, we are enjoined against doing anything or saying anything that injures or endangers another person's life. Okay. Um, so that's actively doing things that injure or endanger another person's life. And then also you see in part C here, page 86, just, just past about halfway down the page, neglecting to assist people in bodily need. This is very important. So there are sins of commission and sins of omission. So we can actively harm our neighbor, um, you know, by shooting him or, you know, stabbing him or, or whatever. Um, you know, that's an active thing. And also neglecting to assist people in bodily need. This is also, um, it can violate the fifth commandment. Okay, so as Luther says in his larger com uh, catechism, um, if you see your neighbor hungry and you neglect to feed him and he ends up dying, you are guilty of the fifth commandment. You have contributed to his death um, by neglecting your neighbor. Same thing with clothing. You know, if you see your neighbor in need of clothing and you refuse to do it when you have the, the ability, the means to do so, um, you know, that's, uh, that is an act of negligence. And, it, and we run afoul of the fifth commandment there. Okay. We are in all uh, things um, concerned about our neighbor, and we must be. We must be. These are people whom God has created, and... Um, we are to, to care for them in, in love and in faith and um, doing unto others the same as, as we would have them do to us. Right? So very important, very important. Um, let's see. I, it's probably, I'm going to have to move fairly quickly here in this class, unfortunately, just given the, the scope of the material we want to cover. But um, in any, any quick questions, any thoughts, reflections about this before we move on? At least let me get us a, a sip of coffee yeah, before we go. Okay, are you ready? Yes. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, in our court system, we have first, second, and third degree murder, uh, of which, as you know, third degree would be you caused it, but you, it wasn't intentional. Mm. So, I, I don't know, do we, uh, would that still be considered a murder? Uh, if someone's stepped on a rake and they hit you hit themselves on the head in your yard mm -hmm. you know and i it, i don't know you have a comment on that 
Yeah, well, obviously things get pretty murky. They can be. Um, and, you know, I, I, I can't really comment too much without getting the specifics on things, like getting, getting into the nitty gritty and what are, what are all the circumstances? Who knew what was going on when? Why was, why didn't you move the rake? Were you told to move the rake? Were you not? I mean, is this just a gross act of negligence? You know the guy likes to jump on rakes. I mean, it's just, <laughs> you see, it can get real murky. It can get real murky. Okay, but what I want to emphasize here is just um, acts of negligence, ca carelessness um, towards our neighbor. Those are, we are enjoined against those, and acts of commission where we actively try and, and do things. Um, that I, I hope that that can suffice. I just again, I don't want to get into like it. It, it requires a discussion on the nitty gritty of each case. But, and if, if any of you are legal scholars, please uh, please feel free to jump in too. Just a quick question. It doesn't seem like in our legal system we have any accounting for a repentant versus an unrepentant murderer. So once they're in prison for life, they maybe have come to Jesus and they're repenting, but we don't say, okay, we believe you, go sin no more. Right. Well, you know, crimes and, you know, they, they do have their just punishments in this life. You know, and it's important that we don't, um, because how would you know if somebody were to just say, well, I believe in Jesus, so you got to let me go now, right? Yeah, we, of course, we want to avoid that. And, you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing, though, when people do come to faith in prison. And that's, you know, another reason why we shouldn't neglect those in prison, prison ministries, because they need to, criminals need to hear, need to hear the gospel just as much as anybody. And, um, you know, I, I, I knew of a number of young men that would, um, do prison ministry up at the seminary and hearing some of their stories was really incredible. Um, but in any case, um, yeah, there's nothing wrong with, with somebody, you know, doing their just, um, time in prison for the things that they've done and, you know, looking forward and anticipating that life to come when they're freed from, from the prison. Does that, does that kind of help? Yeah. Okay. Let's move on here. We are on the sixth commandment now, page 93. And, um, Boy, uh, what, what a, what a commandment and, and what a, what an explanation to it that is, uh, very, very applicable to our, our current day. You shall not commit adultery. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we lead a sexually pure and decent life in what we say and do and husband and wife love and honor each other. Okay. Here's the central thought. God created us to live faithfully as male and female by respecting his purpose for sexual activity within the context of marriage. Okay, so sexual activity is, of course, only to be uh, engaged in within the, within the confines, uh, in the context of a marriage, right, between one man and one woman. And um, that is God's design for it, and that is, you know, marriage is a, um, well, sex is a, a sacred thing unto the Lord, and you really can wreak havoc and significant damage on your soul um, by by engaging in sexual activity outside of those bounds. Um, I mean, it was very, very destructive to the soul, and you know we're seeing we're seeing that. You know, with the sexual revolution in our country, um, we're reaping the fruits now of of what was sown. Uh, you know, back in the '60s, '70s, um, and before that. 
um, it's really just just it, it, it's undermining the very foundation of our of our life together in this place uh, in the United States and in the Western world generally. And um, I thought, well, we should talk about on page ninety four. What is adultery? What does this mean? Adultery is the unfaithfulness of a spouse who engages in or desires sexual intercourse with someone to whom he or she is not married. Okay, so there you have it. That's what adultery is. Okay, now notice what Jesus says here um, in Matthew chapter 5 under question 67. You have heard it said, you, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So even the way that we look at people, right? I mean, just the, the desires of the heart, that's, it reaches even there. Okay, this commandment governs even the desires of our hearts. We cannot even look at someone with lustful intent without violating the sixth commandment. Okay? And, you know, Luther in his large catechism will say, too, that we must do everything that we can to help people maintain sexual purity. Right? This means dressing modestly, something uh, that just people cannot even hear today. You know, they presume that they should be able to do whatever it is that they want, and it's empowering to dress provocatively and, um, you know, flaunt their sexuality. And, uh, you know, it's, you get, you, you have people on, you know, both men and women who think that way and, um, you know, encourage that kind of behavior. And it's, you know, it's just, our, our, our culture is just thoroughly saturated with uh, sexual innuendo and licentiousness and where can you go and not find it, you know? And really, um, one of the worst things, I think, is the, the plague of pornography as well. Just a grievous evil um, that, uh, you know, just can ensnare people. You know, I, I should mention that too. It's funny to me that, especially in America, you, you find such harsh and vehement uh, denunciations against slavery. And being, you know, being free. And okay, sure. But if, um, the apostles were around today, um, and were walking among us and you could hear them speak and, and uh, interact with them, uh, face to face here, they would see nothing but slavery in our land. Slavery to our sexual passions. They would see everybody everywhere enslaved to their lusts and the lusts of their flesh. And even having people orient their entire lives around their sexuality and having that, you know, espousing that as their chief defining characteristic. Um, you know, how far have we fallen in this country? Uh, it's, it's just, it's sad. I lament uh, that for my own son and his children, uh, what kind of world that they will grow up in. And, um, you know, I wish it weren't that way. But, um, you know, of course, with, especially with things like pornography, um, you know, it's, it's warping our perception of, hum of, of human beings um, as objects for sexual gratification, and it's debasing and profaning um, sex, which God has invented and given as a gift to mankind. And pornography just turns it all, it inverts it all, and you, know, you get basically professional prostitutes that engage in this kind of behavior. And even I heard of a lot of people in the, in the pandemic, women especially, 
uh, in the midst of the pandemic when it was still going on. They, they were struggling because they couldn't find work or anything like that. They would go to certain adult websites and then take pictures of themselves and um, have people subscribe to um, their profile and, and uh, you know, doing this as some means of income. And so basically you have the prostitution of everybody. Everybody becomes a prostitute. Uh, and it's, it's just such a lamentable thing. You know, our culture is just so steeped. And oftentimes um, the si violation of the Sixth Commandment will then go in tandem with violation of the Fifth Commandment. So you've got unrestrained sexual freedom uh, touted as the chief good in society. And then when a child is inevitably conceived, uh, then you, you know, go and people will go and get an abortion and violate the fifth commandment and you just sin begets more sin and uh, we, we just spiral further and further out of control. Um, may God have mercy on our country and uh, this is something that we need to, um, to pray about, I think, vehemently. Uh, that the sanctity of marriage is upheld and also for those who are who are um, ensnared in uh, pornography addiction, this is a very serious problem. Pornography, I, I'm told, acts the same. It, it kind of stimulates your your brain in the same way as a narcotic, like cocaine, and um, it can be very very difficult to, uh, to to break free from that and to be freed from that addiction. Um, and there is such thing as sexual sex addic uh, addiction itself, um, and um, you know. It's just a sad thing. And I don't mean to be too down today. It's just, you know, th this commandment, I think, uh, is, is violated daily and just openly um, in, in, in full view of everybody. And uh, sexual perversion just reigns supreme in our country. So we must lament this. And I guarantee if Luther was here, he would have a, quite a sermon to preach about all of that. Um, but in any case, any, any thoughts, reflections, questions on this? Uh, Pastor, what do, you, um, do you have something for us? Well, I thought to uh, put you on the spot. You're welcome. <laughs> so, so given the given the very close connection between the violations of the sixth commandment that are so rampant in our culture, but also the close connection to the fifth commandment and abortion and that kind of thing, um, inevitably we're going to we're going to you know, and while we rightly lament these things as a church and stand against them, um, we're going to find people who have been taught by the government. Um, and by all the people around them, that this is good, that this is virtuous, that this, in fact, is being um, the fullness of what it means to be human, uh, to um, express your freedoms over your body in every kind of way. And so people are led into this only later to be condemned uh, severely and sharply by their conscience. And um, so when you're, you know, I think, I think the ubiquity of um, sexual sin and then the, the inevitable tie-in with um, uh, murderous sin, um, how, would we, how would we best speak the gospel to people who find themselves in this state, you know, who have heard your words, who have heard the words of the small catechism and ultimately God's law? How do we minister to them? Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult question. Um, assuming that the person is willing to speak with you about this. I mean, if they're hostile to you, you know, if they just reject your message outright, well, there's not really much potential for a conversation to begin with. But um, one thing you could do is, as uh, you, you said to me the other day, you can ask people, you know, who are steeped in this lifestyle and, and things like that, um, you know, are you happy? Are you happy? Um, you know, endlessly trying to, you know, self-medicate 
by sleeping around and this, you know, hookup culture, does it, is it, do you find it fulfilling? Are you happy living this life? You know, that's, that's one way, one introduction you can make into a conversation like that. But also to point out that there are many saints who were, uh, throughout history who were ensnared in sexual sin who were nonetheless forgiven. The chief of which would be David, of course, who fell into Bath, uh, to, to sin with Bathsheba and, um, you know, that, um, that there is grace, there is mercy for people who, uh, say, you know, porn actresses, uh, prostitutes, um, sinners. We find all these people coming to Jesus and receiving grace and salvation and healing for their soul um, and, uh, and restoration and the forgiveness of sins. And um, to kind of hold that out to people as a, as a way of saying, you know, the Lord does not forsake you, uh, the, 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 a broken and contrite heart come to him and he will by no means cast you out. Um, and even if your sin has beget other sins too, like abortion, for example, um, that too is, is covered under the, under the cross. And you too will find room there at the foot of the cross of Jesus. So that's, that's one way you could, you could approach things. Um, of course, the circumstances will vary and you, you know, the intricacies of your, what's the, your, the nature of your relationship with that person? What's your history? Uh, you know, all these things uh, you'll have to navigate with the wisdom of the Lord. Does that satisfy your question, Pastor? Uh, now, it may surprise you, um, but I'm actually, I did not, when I was confirmed, I did not use this edition of, of the catechism. Um, we had like a, a blue catechism, and it was smaller than this. And I remember when this came up, the pastor, we, we asked the same question, what, how do we define a, adultery? And I don't know if it came out of the blue book, or if it's just what my pastor told me. But he said, adultery is when you break the wet, the marriage vow or cause someone to break their marriage vow. Um, which strikes me as actually a somewhat better or somewhat more satisfactory definition than the one we have in this book. And the reason for that is we'll take, for example, the, the case you gave of the women who are putting pictures online during COVID. It would seem by this definition that they aren't committing adultery. Because they're not engaging in any sexual act with anybody outside of their marriage. But of course, I think they are committing adultery because they're causing someone yeah. to, to look at them in lust and thereby, right, break their, their marriage vow. Of course. So, um, it's, it strikes me as a little bit better thing to, to tie this to adult, to, to, right, the vow of marriage, the institution of marriage that was established by God. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Anyways. Yeah, well, you know, you'll search in vain for, like, biblical vows, um, for marriage. It's that don't, they don't have, the Bible doesn't have them, right? Right. So, you know, to anchor the, the entirety of the definition just based on the marriage vow itself, I mean, it might, I, well, I don't know. Well, yeah, I, I'm not assuming, like, if we had a marriage vow in the 70s that will, you know, We'll sleep with, to get with each other and anybody else that we're cool with, right. you know, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Right. I, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking of that, but in, in the Bible, the, the marriage was established for a certain purpose and that right. it does spell that out. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're, you know, supposed to keep to each other. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, I mean, you know, marriage, uh, promising before God to live faithfully with um, an, another, uh, with, uh, with your would-be husband or wife, and then enti- having people entice you to, to break that, to, to commit adultery in your heart. I mean, all of that is in view. We can, yeah, sure, we can quibble with the definition, but I mean, I, I, I think that, um, I think that w- probably what I've put forward is, is, is fairly sufficient. I think you probably get the point. Um, but, um, I don't think I have the blue edition of the, of the catechism there. I'd like to, to take a look at that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll keep my eyes out. Pastor? I don't know about that. I don't know about that blue catechism. That was, was around before I was born. <laughs> now that, now that I've irritated everyone, let me, let me go a little further. Um, so one of the really important distinctions here that comes right out of the scriptures is you remember that Jesus forbids um, divorce except on account of adultery. Okay, so that's, that's um, and he's quite absolutist about that. And of course, um, we need to take in the full counsel of the scriptures. But what's, what, is, what is the key distinction here? So Jesus defining adultery on the Sermon of the Mount as just simply lusting in the eye means that adultery is ubiquitous and everyone is guilty of adultery, all right? But it would therefore be a false move to say, well, since my eye is guilty of it, I may as well just go through with it because I'm already an adulterer, you see. So there's a, there's a big distinction um, to be made between adultery of the eye um, and adultery of the flesh. And adultery of the flesh is specifically that which um, violates the one flesh union of marriage. Okay, so um, then in the case of, you know, a husband and wife who, are, who have become one flesh, God has made them one flesh. If one of them goes outside of that, they've already broken the marriage. If, if it's a physical interaction they have with somebody, they've broken the one flesh union. And so divorce is permitted because the person doing the adultery has already in essence, divorced the other person of the flesh, right? So um, now this this is all very important for us because if your if your spouse you know commits adultery on you and you say hey that's not right they say well you're an adulterer too I saw the way you looked at the waitress that's apples and oranges entirely. All right, so that's a key distinction because one can have a uh, one can have a no fault Christian divorce. Where you say look I'm not sinless but I'm blameless. My spouse cheated on me. Um, they broke the one flesh union. So we need to uphold that as, as um, in keeping with the teaching of Jesus. Now, deeper, deeper than that, um, which Jesus always goes, is we see his attitude toward marriage, that he, as um, the bride of the bridegroom, refuses to divorce us. And that includes for our, for our sexual sins. I think of John 8 and the, um, the woman who's brought before him, do you remember she's caught red-handed in adultery, and they're all going to stone her to death. And Jesus <laughs> starts drawing in the sand, um, and he says, "He says, whoever of you is with is without sin, cast the first stone." And of course, they all one by one set their stones down. The rabbis say that um, it started with the oldest of them. <laughs> he put his stone down first because he knew, and all the others followed. And then. Jesus turns and says to the woman, where are you, where are your accusers? 
Is there none who, who here condemns you? And he says, neither do I condemn you. And go and sin no more. He gives her that absolution and that admonition not to land in manifest sin of adultery again. But what that shows to us, I think, also is that Jesus, as the bridegroom of the church, refuses to divorce us and washes us and cleanses us and purifies us and is committed to us in ways we aren't, you know, we have not been faithful in our own vocations, right? Um, the reality, the reality is, um, pornography is so ubiquitous. Divorce is so ubiquitous. All of these sins are so ubiquitous. We have to remember who our, who Jesus is and that these commandments are based after his nature and, um, not, and, and yes, they condemn us, but they also positively teach us who he is and what his attitude is toward us. And he is the perfect husband. And as we join with him in the Lord's Supper, we become flesh of his flesh, blood of his blood. Um, one flesh with him and his flesh cleanses our flesh of all our sins. So I just, sorry for the lengthy little sermonette, but I did simply want to add that in because I know that these sins, um, fifth and sixth commandment type stuff, very, very painful and very personal to a lot of folks. Yeah, thank you for that. And I would, I would posit too what, um, what Luther said too, um, about, about these commandments, especially five through ten. So, um, when it comes to your neighbor, I suppose it would say that the worst thing you could do is murder them and kill them personally. Well, who's the next most important uh, one to your neighbor? And that would be their spouse, right? So that's how you can inflict damage on them, um, uh, the, the most amount of damage to them, um, not directly, but, uh, uh, but in, a, in a secondary way, by, by uh, fornicating with their spouse or attempting them to do so. Um, and you can, you can kind of see that. Next, we'll see the taking their possessions as is the next worst way of, of harming your neighbor and then their reputation and so forth. But thank you, Pastor. Appreciate that. Um, let's just take, can we just do one question? We need to, we need to kind of move on. Uh, go ahead, Paula. It's not a question, but oh. it's a response to the Dale's question. Okay. I think that, oh, it's not a question, it's a response to Dale's question. And I don't want to present myself as a goody two-shoes, because I'm not. But I can remember thinking in college, oh, if I do get married, I want to be faithful to my husband now before I even meet him, if I do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and what, you know, virginity is, is uh, mocked in our culture. It's seen as a, as a stain, but uh, it's certainly not how God sees it. Virginity is a wonderful thing. Christ uh, deemed to be born of a virgin, um, and giving the gift of purity to your spouse um, that's a, that's a wonderful thing. And, um, you know, would that our young people kind of embrace that. And, uh, but, you know, for all of us who haven't, for all of us who have cohabitated and fornicated before marriage, uh, there's grace for you too. And there's healing and wholeness in Christ. And he gives you perfect purity, that purity of himself. But, uh, yes, thank you for that. The purity is a, is a wonderful gift. All right, let's uh, let's move on a little bit here. I want to make sure that uh, I've got enough time to, to cover the rest of the material. On page 105, you shall not steal. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not take our neighbor's money or possessions or get them in any dishonest way, but help him to improve and protect his possessions and income. Okay, so the central thought, God created us to look after the earthly gifts that he has given to our neighbors. For their life and well-being. Okay. Um, yeah. What a, what a grievous evil it is to to steal uh, somebody's possessions. 
And Luther has a lot to say in the large catechism about how the greatest thieves are not, you know, the, the, the people who go to the grocery store and steal a loaf of bread out of hunger. You know, it is thievery, sure. But the greatest thieves are the people who wear white collars and, uh, business suits on Wall Street and, um, enact policies and, um, underhanded business dealings to scam and scheme uh, money out of out of people and, and oppress the poor. Um, and there's going to be a, a great um, on judgment day we're going to we're going to see who the real thieves are and there'll be uh, there's there won't be anywhere to hide. I remember listening to one prominent politician explain to us why um, why people in Congress who are given the authority and responsibility to regulate certain industries why, should, why they should be allowed to um, trade stocks. And her response was, well, it's a free market economy, and we should be able to do that. So they're given information that the rest of the public are not, and they're given the authority to regulate these industries, and yet, you know, you can see the conflict of interest. So, um, you know, yeah, there's going to be, we're going to see who the real thieves are. Um, but in any case, how do we, on page 106, how do we fear and love God in keeping the seventh commandment? We fear and love God by not taking God's earthly gifts from our neighbor in such ways as A, stealing our neighbor's possessions and money, being lazy or sloppy when working as employees. Yeah, so uh, there's such thing as stealing time, you know, milking the clock, as it were. Uh, that that is that is theft when our employer is, um, you know, by by virtue of employing us and paying us a, a just wage, you know, they uh, we, we shouldn't steal their time and and money resources and um, we need to be faithful stewards with that and be honest uh, in our labor. Okay, and part C: acquiring goods by dishonesty, fraud, or taking advantage of others, and this includes using legal means. You know, if I can legally or under the pretense of legality, acquire that which is somebody else's when really it shouldn't be, uh, it shouldn't be mine, right? It's rightfully theirs, and um, I find some nifty way to, to take it from them. Then you know that is theft, even if it's done in a, in a legal, if it has a legal guise, right? That is theft. Um, and I like what, on page 107, what you see here under question 80. What else is considered to be our neighbor's possessions or property today? And here you see that our neighbor's property may include intellectual property, such as ideas and writing. So this is why we don't, we're not allowed to plagiarize in college or, or anywhere in any kind of academic setting. Um, this, you know, there are copyright violations, there's patent infringements, and so forth. Um, you know, stealing um, music, for example. Uh, I think there's a, a big, big case involving the drummer of Metallica, Lars Ulrich. Um, wasn't getting his due for uh, people listening to his music, and it was theft, and it was a, it was a big deal. So this this is also so what we see here is the, the tangible things that we can steal and the intangible things, right? We must be um, careful to 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 help our neighbor protect these things and and uphold them in that, you know, help them to maintain their possessions and property. Um, in any case, does that about cover it? Um, I, I'd like to move on from this point. Uh, any questions, comments before we, before we continue? Okay, moving on then. Page 110, the Eighth Commandment. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. 
What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, slander him, or hurt his reputation, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything in the kindest way. Okay, and you really cannot uh, get on social media for really any length of time without this commandment being broken flagrantly. Um, it is just altogether ubiquitous and easy to do, especially since you're hiding behind a keyboard and a screen and you're not face to face with somebody. Um, you know, it's, it's just all too easy to cast aspersions. And, you know, there are entire, um, industries based on, uh, on this kind of thing about slandering your, your, uh, your adversary, your, or, you know, just your neighbor. And there's, you know, tabloids, there's, uh, there's all kinds of, uh, smut. In literature and, and all kinds of stuff, all, all manner of different ways that, um, that people have their reputation besmirched. And this really is a horrible thing. You, you see very quickly the importance of having a good name and a good reputation when you have it ruined either by a lie or uh, some sort of uh, inflammatory accusation, even if there's nothing true to it, but just the accusation alone uh, can be enough to destroy somebody's reputation and force them from their job, from their uh, you know, friendships, their employer, right? It's, it's just all too easy in cancel culture, uh, to, to, to have serious damage done to people's lives and reputations. So, you know, gossip is covered under this commandment. We shouldn't gossip pe uh, about people, even if the things that we're saying are true. If you hear people gossiping, um, you, uh, it's a good idea to, to speak up and defend people, um, or, uh, and also to, to let your ear be the tomb of the things that you hear and to not go about spreading uh, lies and rumors and, and all of that stuff. Um, you know, you can see on page 111, betraying our neighbors by making public their private faults or secrets. Uh, you know, so-and-so did this or, you know, I heard so-and-so do that. You know, all of this is just uh, the germs of, of, uh, of, of greater and deeper sins. And... Um, you know, yeah, it's all just all too, altogether too easy to, to, to harm our neighbor's reputations. Um, and I would say too, though, that when it comes to explaining everything in the kindest way, this does not mean that you want to paper over, uh, gross and, and, and disgusting sins. You know, at, so, at a certain point, you need to call a spade a spade. And I've had this accusation cast against me when I've been rebutting, uh, a certain, the teachings of a certain heretic. Um, that I was not explaining things in the kindest possible way. And, you know, there may have been some truth to that, but, you know, when, especially when people are given the office of, uh, of cast, of, of rendering judgment, you know, whether it's a court of law or uh, in the church, you know, we are right to call people's public teachings out for what they are. If they're destructive to the body of Christ, they need to be, you need, you need, they, they need to be proclaimed as such. You need to be denounced, and, it, and we're right to do so. Um, but in any case, yeah, so, you know, speaking the truth in love is what we want to do, and we want to uphold our neighbor's reputation and, and give them a good name. And you can see in Proverbs as well, on page one, uh, 110 down at the bottom, look at what uh, King Solomon has to say in Proverbs 22. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Right? A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. How that seems contrary, and our uh, our culture does not think that way. Definitely does not. 
They would rather be rich, and who cares what people think? Any publicity is good publicity, right? Uh, it's not the way the scriptures speak. Not the way the scriptures speak. What other ways do you see people's reputations being destroyed? What are some things that you see commonly? Dale. Well, as you were going over this whole thing, I was thinking about the, you know, this almost screams cancel culture is bad, right? Um, now, the thing is, sometimes when people get so-called canceled, they kind of deserve it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of that guy, uh, the guy who went through the Chick-fil-A drive through and ordered water. Do you remember that a few years ago? I don't. He, he was just such a jerk because, because Chick-fil-A, because they're bad, because they supported proposition, the owner oh, supported yeah. proposition eight or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so he was going through and ordering water and he went on and on and he was just haranguing the person who was at the counter. Yeah. You know, and he lost his job. Mm -hmm. the, the, the company said, Basically, this guy is too big a jerk to work for us. Right. And uh, I kind of think he had that coming. But then it turns out, you know, uh, that for years he was unemployable. Mm. And at some point, I'm wondering, do we violate this commandment by not forgiving someone and allowing their lives to move on? Yeah. You know, I, I mean, th this guy, I, I don't know whether he's repentant of what, what he did. I'm sure he's sorry that... <laughs> <laughs> that that video of him being such a jerk went viral, uh -huh. and it resulted in in him losing his job. I don't know if he's changed his ways at all, but should we at some point say we're violating the Eighth Commandment when we don't forgive someone, even for something against their reputation that's legitimate? Yeah, it's a it's a great point, and you know, with especially with public sins like that. Yeah, we can, as a community, just recognize, yes, this is wrong. This is not how we should be, um, as, as, especially as Christians, but just even in decent society, this is not, uh, proper or fitting for how we ought to be. Um, but we mustn't go too far with our condemnations. You know, we, we must be like, well, you know, maybe there is a place to say, well, you know, what, what might drive him to do something like that? You know, does he have a, did he have a troubled, uh, life at home? Does he is he on some kind of uh, illicit substance? Or I mean, what what I mean? What other extenuating factors might there be? And that can help us have compassion and empathy for our neighbor too. Yeah, and, I, uh, I wasn't trying to excuse him in any way. Yeah, I was, yeah. I, you know, I, I was right. assuming he was just flat out a jerk, but <laughs> but and deserved his initial punishment yeah. for it, right? Mm -hmm. But um, at some point. Don't we need to let go? Especially, I mean, it's not like he killed anybody or, you know. Right. It's, at some point, we have to let go of that right. and say, you know what? You, you can be part of our, our circle again. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, absolutely. We mustn't uh, let our, uh, you know, aversion to the acts of others, even if they are grievous and, and evil. We don't, let, we don't want to let that go too far because that can have destructive uh, effects on our own soul, too. So thank you for thank you for bringing that up. I appreciate it. Yes. Uh, I'll give an example. If there is a problem in the family, mm -hmm. can a husband and wife talk about a way to solve it? Can a, if say the wife knows about the problem, can she talk to her husband? Can she talk to her children if there's a problem with the children? And that kind of thing. How far can you talk within a family about a problem? Ooh, shoot. That's a very difficult and complex question to answer. I mean, obviously there too, it's going to depend on 
the nature of the problem, who's involved, what are the extenuating circumstances. Um, y you know, uh, if God forbid there's an infidelity or something like that, and um, you know the parent is faced with the prospect of explaining what happened to the child. Um, you know, my goodness, much care and thought and prayer must be must be present um, and added to that. And it's you know sometimes there are just no easy answers. You know you don't you don't want to just lie about what happened and say, well, he just felt like doing this today and that's okay. And you know, no, we want to be truthful. <laughs> but um, yeah, there, there too it requires wisdom. And um, you know sometimes maybe even most times we're going to fall short and say too much or too little. And there too, in all of these things, we we, we uh, reach towards the throne of grace and say, Lord, forgive us and, and help us, guide us, and, and, and be with us in this. So, does that help? Yeah, I'm sorry. You know, it gets, again, you, you can get into the nitty-gritty with all of this stuff, and there's a lot of context that needs to be taken into account um, when, we, when we address these things. But the purpose of this class is really just to cover some general things. Um, but in any case, I'd, I'd be happy to talk with you after the fact. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in the time that we have left, let's try and um, finish out uh, the material here. On page 115, the ninth and tenth commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not scheme to get our neighbor's inheritance or house or get it in a way which only appears right, but help and be of service to him in keeping it. The Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not entice or force away our neighbor's wife, workers, or animals, or turn them against him, but urge them to stay and do their duty. Okay, the central thought here, God created us to be content with the gifts by which he sustains our life. Okay, you know, I had this thought uh, the other day as as I was um, uh, t walking my dogs. Our apartment overlooks the the ocean and the freeway, and I was just looking at all the traffic going by, and I just thought, this, the thought occurred to me: all of these souls that I'm seeing pass by, these are all people that God has provided for, that He has sustained from their childhood into adulthood. He's given them a car and somewhere to go, somewhere to be, and people to whom He, who are depending on Him. And what a grievous thing it is to, to covet the things that God has given these people uh, in their life. You know, to wish to, to turn them against him and into, unto myself. Uh, what, what, a, what an evil thing it is. You know, you can see what, what is the definition of, co of coveting on page 116. Coveting is the sinful desire in our hearts to acquire for ourselves anything that belongs to our neighbor. It is also the desire to draw away from our neighbor for our own benefit, anyone, who is important to your neighbor, to our neighbor, a spouse, friends, and so on. Okay. So the very again, the very passions at work within us, you know, this uh, this desire, this lust for the things, the possessions, the people belonging to your neighbor, um, you know, in relationship with them, like a spouse, for example, and desiring to take them for yourself, you know, this envy, right? What a what a contemptible thing, a lamentable thing it is. Um, and it's, you know, the desires in our heart, the, the commandment reaches even there, as with the others, into our hearts. Um, and so in question 89, how do we fear and love God in keeping the ninth and 10th commandment? First, we fear and love God by not coveting 
the gifts he has given to our neighbor. This includes not plotting to acquire our neighbor's possessions in a way that only that appears proper or legal, not plotting to lure away our, our neighbor's friends, spouse, or employees. Right? So there you can get to like business practices where you're trying to entice away workers uh, to an, another uh, vocation, to another place of employment. Um, you know, yeah. And then on page 117, second, we fear and love God by being satisfied with what God has provided us and others. Okay, we are to be thankful for all that God has given us and to be satisfied with these things. You know, if you really think about it, God has given us so much in our daily life. I mean, he fills our lungs with air. Each moment we, we do this unconsciously, we breathe. And, you know, that's the Lord providing for us there. He gives us clothing on our backs, the roof over our head, food. Um, you know, in spite of all the chaos, the tumult, wars and rumors of wars, the Lord even still sustains us with all of these things. And um, it is a, um, you know, St. Paul calls coveting idolatry, in fact. You know, not looking to the Lord for our satisfaction for the things that we need. Right? Um, so, you know, as, as Pastor likes to say, the commandments end with a bang and not with a whimper. You know, even the desires of our hearts, these, these things too are governed by this commandment. Right? Being dissatisfied with what we have by God. Okay. Um, any, any closing thoughts before we, before we wrap up here? I would just say that in all of these commandments, we, of course, are unable, as you see, as soon as you de delve into these things with any bit of uh, depth and rigor and intellectual honesty, it becomes quickly apparent that we cannot keep these commandments. We are unable to do so. And they indeed condemn us in our sin, in the desires of, and lusts of our heart, of our flesh. Um, and they drive us to Christ. Christ who does keep the commandments. He has kept the commandments perfectly in our place. And he credits his righteousness to us by grace. And we receive that as a pure gift from God himself. Um, he is our righteousness. And in faith we can try feebly and meekly to keep the law. We see its beauty and it's all that it requires of us. And it's a beautiful way to live in faith. Uh, but nevertheless, we trust in Christ alone um, for our salvation. Um, with that said, the Lord be with you.